Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we are positively obsessed with dog behavior. Join certified dog trainers as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. Today's episode includes me, Kayla Fratt, and I'm the owner of Journey Dog Training, which is a remote online training business, and Marissa Martino, who is the owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado. Hey, guys. So in 2017, Marissa wrote a book titled The Human-Canine Behavior Connection, A Better Self Through Dog Training. And in this book, she explores her favorite topic, relationships. One of the relationships she explores, which is most obvious, is the one with your canine. However, she also explores the not-so-obvious. Marissa claims that our relationship with our dogs is a window into how we relate to the world around us, especially with our human relationships. So in part one of this two-part podcast, we're going to be exploring what that means to us and diving into the first three relationship concepts. So Marissa, how did all of this come about for you and what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, so um, back in 2007, when I began my journey into this field, uh, I was working at the Humane Society of Boulder Valley, and I finally scored a pet-friendly apartment, and I was finally in a place to adopt my first dog, which was so exciting for me. Um, unbeknownst to me, I had a lot of pressure on this first dog, a lot of expectations surrounding his or her behavior, um, and when I took Sully home, um, I started to project a lot of that onto him. And that was pretty detrimental to our relationship. So, for example, uh, considering that I expected a lot from him, when he started to bark and lunge at the sight of other dogs on leash, I was horrified. I was not only horrified because I was disappointed I hadn't prevented the behavior from happening because I am a dog trainer. I was also really upset that this was the dog that I got. Um, and I, I very much blamed a lot of his behavior on him instead of actually taking a look at how I am contributing and see how I can help support him in that relationship. Um, at the very same time, I started therapy. Uh, and so I was um, confronted with the idea of becoming very self-aware and how I show up in my relationship to myself, but also my relationship with everything around me. And it was my therapist that actually pointed out the parallels between how I operate dog training with my clients, how I operate dog training with my dog. And it was it was sort of the, the beginning planted seed for me to say, oh, wow, there's so many there's so many parallels here. And I really, really want to want to explore how we as humans show up and how we affect our dog's behavior, both positively and negatively. Um, and so. So, yeah, so I, I, I felt like I had to write it all down. I had for a while there a bunch of large post-its on the wall with small post-its with all these ideas and experiences that I had had with um, Sully and, and myself and with my clients. And then it all sort of turned into a book. And the book is is supposed to be an interactive uh, worksheet book, if you will, where you're actually, it's, it's asking you a lot of questions. It's walking you through exercises so that you can take the concepts in the book and actually apply them to your own life. So, so yeah, so that's how, that's how it all started, cool. I guess, back in 2007. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, full disclosure, I'm about a third, maybe a quarter of the way through the book right now. I've been trying to read it every night before bed and work 
work through it. And it's definitely really interactive. I'm really enjoying it. Um, and I'm not just saying that. Uh, <laughs> so let's start with um, what the human canine behavior connection actually means to you, Marissa, and kind of explain what that is. Yeah, so I came up with that title, Human Canine Behavior Connection, because there's so many connections and so many different types of relationships that are taking place. Um, there's the obvious, my relationship with my dog, but there's a lot of other small relationships that are happening um, throughout the course of our relationship with, with our canine. And so the way I've broken it down is into four parts. And the first part is... When you're interacting with me, I, I'm going to be training the owner. So I have to teach the owner, just like you do, Kayla, or any dog trainer does. We have to teach the owner actually a lot of information about canines. Uh, we sort of have to download all of our knowledge into the interaction with our clients that so they understand what it is that we're seeing and we're experiencing and, and how to help modify their dog's behavior. Um, this is where I talk to the owners a lot about their response or their relationship to their reaction to their dog's behavior. So um, that could be really positive or it could actually be really negative. Um, and so trying to understand how they're reacting to their canine, I think, is, is really important because their canine ultimately, especially if it's a problematic behavior, triggers them to feel whether it's frustration or shame, embarrassment, anger, uh, disappointment. And so it's really important to be aware of what is showing up for the owner. Um, the second part of that is training the dog. So using positive reinforcement, science-based training techniques to motivate the dog to, to choose a different behavior in the context that they're choosing, say, the problematic behavior. Um, so we want to choose, we, we want to teach the dog to stand or sit while, while being greeted instead of jumping up. So this is where myself and the owner and I and the dog, we are teaming up together to create a situation where the dog is successful so that we can mark and reward other choices. Um, we also talk about in this particular element, understanding the dog's reaction to his world. So the dog is reacting. So we'll use that example. If I walk in and the dog wants to jump up to say hello, the trigger is my approach. And so we want to try to understand and get really clear and educate the owner about why and how and what is causing the dog to engage this way. So <clears throat> that's the second part. The four, sorry, three comes after two. Uh, the third part is enhancing the relationship. So this is where we talk about um, the six key relationship topics that we're going to talk about today. And uh, well, we're going to talk about the first three of the six in this podcast. And I introduce these along the way as I'm working with clients and their dog, whichever one in particular pertains to where they are having the most concern. Um, and then we also talk about ways in which to implement play and bonding exercises in this particular part of the process. And then lastly, which is the part of the process that most people are like, what is about enhancing yourself? So <clears throat> what I mean by this is we can use, we as humans can use the behavior modification process as information for us to modify our own behavior. I mean, it, it's applied behavior analysis. That's what dog trainers are doing. So I didn't make this up. I'm just sort of um, harping on the parallels here, but 
I, so there's, so there's that piece, but then there's the other piece of who are you and how do you show up in relationship with your canine? And are you showing up that way, whether it's positively or negatively in other relationships in your life? So the relationship with yourself or the relationship with your partner, loved one, colleagues, family. Um, and, and sometimes there's, there's some significant parallels in there. So for example, with myself, um, I tend to be pretty quick moving, fast, impatient, and I do that with my dog and I do that with my partner, Scott. Um, and so my relationship with Sully has given me an opportunity to become more aware of who I am in my relationships so that I can notice it and then potentially make that change in or make that behavior shift in other relationships. So this is this last element is really what I'm trying to help folks understand or be aware of in the world. And I'm hoping that that the book is a great way for people to not only learn about canines, learn about how to deepen the relationship and how to use training, but then also how to grow as a person. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. And that's definitely like, there's so much going on with dog training and dog behavior right now. And I think that that's a really exciting aspect that it's maybe not quite as much in vogue as like choice and control is right now. Cause I know that's a super mm -hmm. hot topic, but it's really, it's really similar. And, um, I think it's gonna part of this book and what you're doing, I think is going to help bring it up for more and more people and help pe more people understand that. Because, like, what I personally have found is sometimes it's easier for me to see truths about myself and my relationship with other people when I look at it through my dog first. Um, mm -hmm. Because it can feel so much harder to come to those realizations with people. Um, totally. Sometimes, and sometimes it's easier to blame the person um, than it is <laughs> totally. to blame the dog. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just some observations there. So it sounds like this is definitely like an opportunity for people to enhance themselves through the process of dog training. Um, is that kind of what you're getting at? Because that's what I'm getting from you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, w once I bring the awareness to these parallels, people are usually they're floored and they're excited, but they're also uncomfortable because this sheds a light on an area of growth for most people that maybe they weren't interested in looking for, or maybe they have actually been stuffing down and not really uh, wanting to pay attention to. So like I said earlier, my goal is really to cultivate self-awareness and intimacy in these relationships. And lots of times that takes vulnerability and honesty within ourselves to, to really start to notice some challenging things about who we are. Um, and then, you know, being okay with that, but then also creating an action plan to help shift their own behavior. So, so yeah, it can be um, an exciting and also challenging journey for folks. Definitely. Um, and before I respond, I want to say I should have mentioned this earlier. I really apologize if there's background noise on my end today. Um, I am in the only place in my town in Costa Rica that has decent internet, and there is some pretty loud music happening behind me. So hopefully we're going to be able to edit most of that out, but I do really want to apologize for that. Um, yeah, and I, I think I can really relate going back to what you were just saying, Marissa, about being vulnerable in dog training. And one of the things that I'm really finding as I'm reading through this book right now is that I often feel pretty confident as a trainer, but I still have a lot of growing to do as a person, still as we all do. Um, 
and I can be a perfectionist. I often hate waiting, kind of similar to some of the things that you were saying um, about yourself, which is probably part of the reason we get along. Um, and I put a lot of pressure on myself and that can affect um, my relationship with Barley. And part of that is just, you know, being a, a little bit of a perfectionist. And part of that is feeling the pressure of like, I'm a dog trainer, so my dog should be able to do this, this and this. Um, and one of the biggest things that I've found is, especially when I don't have my trainer hat on, um, I can get really, really frustrated really easily. And one of the things that I find really, really hard to talk about, especially, honestly, in this positive reinforcement humane hierarchy community that we love being part of, is talking about frustration. And one of the things that I personally really struggle with is getting impatient or frustrated with my dog, Barley particularly when he's like fixating on stuff. He's a border collie and he sometimes just, you know, I mean, there's nothing to say other than he's fixating. Like his pupils are dilated. He's practically not breathing. And sometimes that just turns into him totally checking out from whatever it is that we're doing together. And sometimes it turns into him pulling in a way that is very painful and frustrating and embarrassing for me. And I find myself in that situation sometimes, like, yanking on the leash, gritting my teeth, cussing, like, I just turn into this person that, like, I'm constantly trying to educate other people not to be. Um, and it's, and then it turns into this terrible feedback loop of I beat myself up for it, and I'm upset that it happened, and, um... It sucks. It just, it really sucks. And it doesn't teach Barley anything other than the fact that I'm kind of unpredictable. Um, it doesn't stick to my promise and my goal to him to always be working to relate better my relationship with him. And I'm only partway through your book right now, but one of the, that's my goal is working through your book is reducing that behavior in myself and coming up with alternative behaviors that I can engage in when I'm feeling those feelings with my dog. Um, and one of the biggest things that I've found is if I just remember to have treats and a clicker with me, um, then I am able to feel prepared to deal with him when he's having a hard time um, doing what I ask. And if I don't have treats and a clicker, often what I find is the only thing I've got, geez, is my voice or a leash, so I find myself yanking and yelling and doing all these things that I don't like doing and that don't teach Barley what to do. So what I've, what I've done, honestly, is I've put my poop bags in the bottom of my treat bag, so I, and I'm pretty good about not forgetting poop bags on my walk, so then I've got my treats and my clicker with me when I go for a walk, and it's it's been pretty helpful, you know? And that's just something that, like, if a client had come to me, I think I would have been able to tell them to do that, but it took starting to work through your book for me to remember to do that myself. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that that is so great that you noticed that. And on one hand, I think it's really um, relatable for you to forget to do that. And it's really relatable for you to have a moment of frustration. And when um, when a lot of my clients read the book, they were like, oh, my gosh, Sully is not perfect. You are not perfect. Thank thank goodness. Right. And so I think it's it's really relatable when we as trainers can say, you know, we can really talk about our, our imperfections and the imperfections of our dogs and be loving and accepting of all of that. And it, it took me and it takes me like I notice it pop up here and there um, for, for myself, but it took me a long time to really be able to be OK with that and not be projecting my insecurity onto him or our relationship. So um, I think it's awesome that you're sharing your vulnerability because I think people can relate to it on so many levels. 
Yeah, definitely. And I know when I was first really starting to get into learning how to train dogs with positive reinforcement, one of the things that I personally really struggled with was when I felt these feelings of frustration, I didn't know what to do with them. And Mm -hmm. from my impression from reading some of these books, I just kind of assumed that all these other positive reinforcement trainers like didn't have those problems. And then I started thinking that there was something wrong with me. And I think it's one of the things that is so hard to talk about. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's scary to talk about in public on a podcast or in blog posts or whatever. But I think it's really important for us to do that because there are plenty of people who are starting to learn how to train their dogs, clicker training or whatever, and want to better their relationships. And they need to know that it's not that I'm just the world's most patient person and you don't have a perfect dog, but like we all are dealing with this. And just because like one day you, you yank on the leash in frustration doesn't mean that you're a terrible person. It doesn't mean that you've ruined your relationship with your dog. It doesn't mean you can't go back and keep going forward. That didn't, you can't go back and keep going forward. That's not what I meant, but you know, you get the point. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And it's not all of who you are. It's not all of mm-hmm. your relationship. It's not all of who you are. And you had a moment of frustration. Like, I think it's, yeah, I think and it's, it's totally normal. Absolutely. So cool. So let's uh, start diving into these relationship building concepts, right? Um, so there's six yep. of them, but because there's six, we're only going to cover three today. Um, and those three that we're covering are going to be curiosity acceptance and compassionate communication. Um, So we're going to go take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to hear from Marissa about curiosity. This episode was brought to you by Canine of Mine, an online dog care resource that aims to provide owners with all the info they need to be better pet parents. Canine of Mine has tons of great resources from adoption guides to dog food recommendations from breed profiles to training tips. And a lot of them, especially the training and behavior ones, are actually written by me. I actually worked on the dog adoption guide and I think it's super awesome. It's a three-part guide and in part one, we created a scorecard that you can use to evaluate different dog adoption candidates and help you calculate a final score to bring home the best dog. It's the system that I use to find Barley and I think he's perfect, so I think it worked. Um, And then parts two and three kind of deal with how to help your dog adjust to his new home, starting with that first 24 hours, which can be really hard with a new shelter dog. And then part three kind of deals with, you know, the first week and beyond going forward with your dog. Canine of Mine also focuses on a ton of really common owner asked, frequently asked questions, ranging from what to do if your dog eats a diaper to what kind of food is best for marathon running owners. Canine of Mine is a fantastic resource for any dog owner looking to take care of their canine. Check them out at canineofmine.com, which is letter K number nine of mine.com. All right, Marissa, and we're back. Can you tell me a little bit about how curiosity factors into the human human canine behavior relationship? Yeah, so curiosity to me, uh, how I define it in the work that I'm doing is I'm encouraging owners to ask questions about their dog's behavior at all times instead of making assumptions. So Our brains are wired to jump to the assumption and to create a lot of stories. And we rarely play detective to actually find out if those stories are true. And I don't want to make our assumptions wrong. I think some assumptions are true. I think uh, based on past experience with 
their canines or based on the fact that they have all the facts in front of them and they have come to an educated guess. Um, so some assumptions are correct. However, some of them, when they are not correct, can actually put a damper into our relationship. So a common example that I, Kayla, let me know if you've heard this one, because I'm sure you have, is if my dog is destructive has chewed something or has urinated or defecated somewhere in the house, the assumption is that the dog is pissed at the owner. And right. so have, have, you've heard this, right? Yeah, just or, a couple I times. Mean, yeah, like, I mean, it could just be ranging. I mean, and uh-huh. we especially hear this, hear this for cats. Like, it's just uh-huh. like they are sitting at home with their diary talking about how pissed they are. And then they come up with this idea and they poop on the living room carpet. It's like that's. I don't think our dogs or cats are plotting a coup against us at home. However, many people make that assumption because it's it's pre- it's pretty easy to make that assumption. However, there's two problems with that. One is is that assumption doesn't really actually give you any information as to how to solve the behavior issue and then it keeps that person stagnant. The other thing is that yeah, like when when you're making an assumption about someone and it's incorrect, um not only are you stagnant where you, you, you don't know how to help the dog change their behavior, but it also creates a rift most of the time within the relationship. So if I'm assuming that my dog is trying to get back at me for going on vacation or for, or for being gone for too long, I might be frustrated or annoyed or resentful towards my dog. And then there's this, there's this rift or divide that, that takes place that can actually be detrimental to the relationship. So I listen to my clients and I hear their assumptions and then I start to get curious with them, as I'm sure Kayla does as well, especially because her business is online. She's not present there um, and she needs to ask a lot of really good creative questions to get information from her clients the same way that all trainers should. Um, and when we are asking questions, we're getting more information and we're not operating from assumption. We're operating from a more educated decision. And so a human example of that would be, um, I'm sure everybody has received a, an email from their boss that was maybe short or really curt or didn't give a lot of information. And Kayla can't answer because I was her boss before. And hopefully I never did this. Um, but send, you know, lots of times everything gets misconstrued over text or email or something like that. Right. And so I think what's really tricky is we are designed to jump to assumptions. So how many times have you received a communication from someone where you assume the worst when actually their intention was something way better than what we had assumed? And so um, lots of times when I'm having a when I'm when I'm going to talk to somebody about their intention, I remind myself like Marissa, get curious, get curious, ask them a question instead of jumping right to, hey, when you sent that email, that was really rude, right? And instead, I might say, hey, so when you sent that email, my assumption is this. Is this correct or am I just jumping to a conclusion, right? You can talk about your assumption, but I think it's important to, to, be, to, to clear it and make sure that you're asking questions to know that what you're thinking is actually true. So I love asking questions. Sometimes people are annoyed that I ask a bunch of questions, but 
I, I do think it helps get to the bottom of what we're all trying to communicate in this world. And because these guys can't speak English, it's really up to us to become detectives and, and try to understand what is causing or motivating a specific behavior reaction. So anything yeah. to add to that, Kayla? I think one of the things that, I mean, you, you like the two main points that you had are both so good. Um, but one of the things that I really try to think about is if I'm making an assumption, what does that assumption mean um, as far as going forward? So sometimes I try to almost force myself into making an assumption that say um, this problem is fixable and here's here's now I'm going to take steps to work for it because um, let's take the example of something that I'm sure you've never heard before of um, I can't train my husky to be off leash because she's a husky. Um, and OK, um, that assumption isn't necessarily super harmful um, in and of itself, but it is taking away from a potential enjoyment that that dog might have. And instead, what if we can start thinking about what if we assume that this is possible, but we also assume it's difficult? What steps would we take then to create a behavior plan that would actually work with that? So if you are going to make those assumptions or, you know, I've worked with some clients where we, I do um, email and text support where I literally never talk to the clients face to face or over the phone. So you don't get any of the you know, the tonal stuff. Um, and I've thought that a client like hates me and thinks that all of my advice is useless. And I just have to keep reminding myself, assume that, you know, they're texting you in between making dinner and putting their kid to bed. Like assume that that is why they're being short with you and assume that they're scared about making change with their dog. And that's why they're pushing back, not because they disrespect you. Um, and then, yeah, get curious about both of those assumptions and what can we do with those assumptions to, um, to either break them down or if they are true or they are useful, how can we use them to, to go forward? Um, and I think that probably ties into acceptance, I'm guessing, which is our next thing. So yeah. let's go into it. It totally does, which is why I put curiosity first. Second, the second relationship concept we're going to talk today about is acceptance. And this is one that I struggle with. So um, I, I like to tell people that because... Um, you know, I always, whenever I'm teaching workshops, I ask people like who here just accepts whatever's thrown their way. And there's always like that one person that is, uh, raises their hand. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I love when people say, oh, just let it go. Like, what does that mean? I don't understand what that means. Like my brain cannot really understand it because it's not really actionable. And I am very, I'm really action oriented person. And so in order for me to understand acceptance, I decided to divide it into four parts. And what it is to start, number one, is noticing the resistance. So that's the opposite of acceptance. So what am I resisting? Where do I feel it in my body? How often does it come up? What has to happen in the environment to make it come up? And then I'm going to get curious about the resistance. So why, why is it happening? You know, uh, how bad am I resisting this? Uh, what is it that I'm wanting to change? 
And then I'm going to validate my concern. And this is really important to me. I know that I need validation about what I'm feeling. And so I try to validate how my emotions are coming up. So for example, if I'm, if I'm noticing my resistance, so Sully is barking and lunging and I'm embarrassed. There's a resistance there that he, towards his behavior and a resistance that I am a dog trainer and that he should behave perfectly, right? So I'm feeling a bunch of emotion and I'm going to get curious as to why I'm feeling the emotion. And then I, and then I just sort of let myself for five minutes have that emotion because I don't want to squash that emotion. I want to feel it. I'll give it some airtime because, you know, it's, it's, it's proven that if I don't give that emotion some airtime in a healthy way, it's going to come up somewhere else. Um, and then from there, once I sort of have my Veruca salt moment, if you will, where I'm stomping my feet or whatever it is that I'm, I'm allowed to have the emotion run through me, I then reframe. Okay, well, now what? So your dog is barking and lunging. You're upset. You're feeling embarrassed. You're feeling upset. I said upset twice. <laughs> so I guess I'm You're really upset. upset. <laughs> uh, I'm clearly upset. So what do I want to do now? I want to remove him from the situation so he feels better. I want to um, understand that this is an issue and develop a behavior plan moving forward. I want to recognize that he's having a hard time and, and, you know, and I'm having a hard time and be kind to, to both of us during that process. So it doesn't have to be this like, oh, my dog is barking and lunging. Just accept it and let it go. It right. doesn't have to be like that. Right. It doesn't have to be super esoteric. It can be kind of step by step and like how, this, how you're describing it. Like this is how we're going to get there and totally. what that looks and like. Totally. And it, I mean, it could be divided into two parts where, where you're saying, I accept that I'm not going to bring Sully to the farmer's market because it's too much for him. But I'm also taking action to help him feel better in a different environment, right? So I'm accepting that he'll never be the farmer's market dog where I bring him there. But I also am going to try to help him feel better in like our neighborhood or something like that. So it, it can be both. I don't think uh, esoteric is, is, is a great word. I don't think it needs to be this like, just let it go sort of thing. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I'm thinking about as you're bringing this up is, so last year, one of the big things that I really focused on was um, learning a little bit more about stoic philosophy because I can be a really emotional person and I can get really upset about a lot of things that I don't I can't control and that can like really tear me apart. Um, and one of the big things that I took away from that and one of the things that I recommend if this if something you struggle with is I actually subscribe to the Daily Stoic um, email and it just sends you a little bit of Stoic philosophy every morning in your inbox. And the biggest oh, thing, cool. that I, yeah, it's great. Um, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, the biggest thing that I kind of took away is they talk quite a bit about the idea of thinking of your circles of influence and like at the center. Uh, so think of like a a target board. What, what is the word for what I'm like? Yeah. Like bullseye? A, dark, a bullseye. Yeah. A bullseye. Um, <laughs> a bullseye. So at the center is me and I can control myself um, for sure. And then there's the stuff that's kind of under the sphere of my influence. So that might be my dog's behavior, my boyfriend's behavior, my, some aspects of my environment. I can control that, you know, 
maybe 50% or whatever, whatever that percentage is. And then there's the stuff that's kind of outside of my control. So that would be like, you know, whether or not our government is shut down. Um, you could argue that maybe I've got a little bit of influence under that if I wanted to like go protest or whatever, but there's not a whole lot that I individually have at my disposal to change that right now. Um, and one of the things they really talk about is focusing on the things that you can control most with the most of your energy and then kind of radiating out from there. And if there's something that's outside of your current sphere of influence that you really, really care about. So if you really, really hate that there is an e-collar trainer across town, um, that's not really under your control, but maybe there are some things that you could do to make that under your control. Maybe you can run for public office. Maybe you can, you know, work on some things, but it's not worth it until you have a way to get that under your control or get that under your influence to get really, really wound up about that right now. And I think it mm -hmm. kind of ties into this idea of acceptance of figuring yeah, I out. I love this. Mm -hmm, it's yeah, it's really great. And figuring out, like, it's not that you want to just, like, let it go and ignore, you know, climate change or animal abuse or euthanasia or whatever it is that's tearing you apart. But mm -hmm. also don't let it tear you apart because it's not under your control. And if you really care about it, then figure out how to get it under your influence. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. Thank you. Because I was thinking about acceptance before we hopped on this podcast and, and that element came up. And so I love that you were... That you that that's a, a prime example of your own life. And then there's also a resource that we can share with our listeners. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So are we moving on to compassionate communication now? Number three, we are. Yes. So All right. number three is compassionate communication. And so how I've broken this down is into um, a few different parts. I, I don't know if anyone can tell through this podcast that I like to organize, put things into parts and flow charts and all of that. Um, I just imagine so, your life as like a whole bunch of like <laughs> flow charts and like decision trees and such. Um, totally. That's what I figure that's it is. That is the planner in me. Uh, you're a J on the Myers-Briggs, right? Yeah, we're, we're, we're very much J's and organize and plan. So anyway, so compassionate communication, what that means is one of it, is, well, or part of it is we have to learn canine body language. And we, meaning everyone in this society, <laughs> there are so many misconceptions about canine body language. And I don't know about you, Kayla, but I learn something new every day. And I've been working with canine since 2007. Uh, and I, I feel like um, we there's so many aha moments when clients start to work with me and I start to narrate what I'm seeing, even just the small little moments that the dog, what the dog is communicating and people really learn a ton and they can actually shift their dogs. Um, some of their, some of the actual behavior concerns by actually just knowing what the dog is feeling and communicating through the, their body language. Um, I have one client that the dog had escalated to biting them on several different occasions because of handling circumstances. So if they were sitting near the dog or moving the dog off the couch or touching the dog in a way that the dog didn't want to, we, I, I taught them how to recognize the signs before the dog escalated to biting and to provide the dog with a lot of choice. Um, and that dog's behavior shifted in a matter of, uh, 
a week really. And now I'm, I'm still working with them. They are noticing that the dog is more social and actually more cuddly with them now that they are providing a lot of choice and listening to what the dog actually wants and needs in that social interaction. Um, and so I think body language is It's one of my favorite things to teach clients because you can see the depth of the relationship really blossom when one party understands the other party. So I think that's so important. And Kayla and I will definitely link to, there's a lot of great resources out there on body language. I know she's got some blog posts. I do as well. Um, and there's a great website, ispeakdog.org that, um, provides a lot of good information. So we'll, we'll, um, we'll link to some good resources. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm just going to jump in and say, I I love this because I think how I always explain it to my clients is if we can understand when our dog is saying like, oh, no, thank you. um, Then our dog doesn't don't our dogs won't feel like they need to start screaming at us. Um, whether totally. that screaming that is analogy. literally barking and screaming or um, it's growling, snarling, snapping, lunging, biting, all of that is the equivalent of your dog screaming at you to stop. And if you can learn that that little that little ear twitch or the lip lick or whatever is actually your dog saying like, mm, no, thank you, your dog is going to start doing what you just said your client um, doing and they they you saw a huge decrease in aggression just because the client was able to read when the dog was saying no thank you and what you were saying as well about the dog becoming more social as you get better with body language um i don't know if you remember but when i first adopted barley um he didn't like petting at all um if if you tried to pet him he'll duck away and he still does this with strangers um it's funny to watch every time he tries to play fetch with a stranger he'll come up and drop the stick at their feet and they inevitably try to ruffle the fur on the top of his head before they throw it and you can see every single time he lip licks and backs away but he really wants that stick so he'll he'll keep coming back but I I've noticed over the last year and a half and especially honestly in the last six months all of a sudden I have this cuddly border collie because I stopped petting him when he doesn't want it anymore um and I I ask him you know I'll I'll touch him and then I'll stop and if he comes and nuzzles back into my hand then it keeps going um and we call that pat pet pause and we can link to that as well um and it's so cool to see like literally this morning my dog came and laid his head on my lap and fell asleep there while I was working and that's something that I think he's never done before and that was brand new today and I've owned this dog for almost two years um you know and when I again when I first adopted him I literally couldn't pet him and now he loves butt scratches it's so cool anyway body language is just we could do a whole podcast but podcasting is not the ideal medium for body language but we love this stuff yeah but we love to talk about body language but maybe not in a podcast yeah yeah maybe well we could we'll figure it out maybe yeah so um Another another part of compassionate communication is noticing your verbal language, what, like how you're actually communicating about your dog. So, for example, um, when I when I was talking to when I would talk about Sully when I first got him, I noticed that I would like call I would say like my reactive dog Sully, <laughs> and people would be like. I mean, they would, they would meet him and be like, Whoa, this is not the dog you described to me. That's so weird. And it was like, I had this judgmental, heavy description of who Sully was in my head. And I would talk about him that way. 
Um, some clients will do it. Like they'll be like, Oh, he's just such a jerk or like, Oh, I can't stand him. He's such a little punk. Right. And like some of this language, it's not harmful until it's harmful. Like there's an actual, there's a really fine line there where you as a person then start to look at that dog or person through the lens of your verbal language and through your thoughts. So if I, like if I look, if I labeled Sully as my reactive lab Sully, all I, and I, if I'm looking at him through that lens, that's all I tend to see. I might miss the choices where he doesn't react or where he reacts and then recovers really well. Or, I mean, we've all been guilty of this, doing this to people, right? Um, you know, my, like my partner doesn't do this for me. Right. And then if I am harping on that and describing him as, um, maybe like he doesn't, uh, provide me with the attention I need. If I completely look at, at Scott through that lens, I'm, that's all I'm going to notice. And it's going to, it's going to be further information to support the, my thesis paper that I am writing that he's not giving me the attention that I need instead of actually saying, okay, he's not giving me the attention that I need. But he did provide me attention this morning when he cooked me breakfast, right? So it, lots of times it's, it's really paying attention to, you know, some of the concerns we have, but then balancing that out and looking at that person or the, or your dog through an alternative lens, um, and getting curious to make sure that the verbal language and the lens that you're looking at, at that person or dog through is actually correct. So, um, this is, a, this is a big one for me. I, I actually go to bed every night and I list out a way in which um, I showed up to my partnership with, with Scott where I was successful and something that he did that was successful that day um, so that I can, I can focus on and celebrate the choices that we're making to build a healthy partnership together. And it's fun because my, I'm training my brain to notice that stuff instead of actually noticing um, the challenging things the that show up in a relationship all the time. Right. Right. So, of course. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I know, I think Hannah Brannigan brought this up on, she had a whole podcast, I believe on labels. And one of the yep. things that she really talked about in that episode was the idea of not yet or right now. So my dog can't focus yeah. So like, for example, my barley um, has a really, really hard time paying attention to me um, when we are near the ocean right now. So he can't focus on me and be trusted off leash near the ocean yet. Um, and just adding that yet and right now to those thoughts, like I'm kind of I, I'm acknowledging that there's a problem and I'm letting myself vent about it a little bit, but I'm making sure to make it really clear that that is something that could change and that I can change and that I'm working to change. Um, and I just find that super important. And I know one of the things that both you and I do quite a bit of is also some of the other things that we do with our language. It's not just about um, labels and what we're calling something and how we're falling into these traps of thinking of something because of what we call it. Um, it's also just the way we talk about our relationships with our dogs. And um, one of the ones that I know I try really hard to do is I try to talk about cues, not commands with my dog. Um, because I think of a command as something that like you do this or else, 
Um, and there is no or else in how I relate to my dog. Um, it's just, you don't get this treat right now. I'm probably gonna ask you to do something else that's easier. Like, it's no big deal. Um, and th yeah, just like thinking of those little things and that can really help us kind of tone down a relationship when it's getting stressful. Um, yep. I like to say, um, oh, that was such a good choice. Look at you making that choice. And it's funny because a lot of, whether it's my friends or clients, they're like, oh, that's so funny. Like, I've never heard that. And I love that you say that. And it's fun for me to experience when clients notice that, that I do that. I'm just doing that because that's what I'm seeing and that's what I'm noticing. And I'm really proud of Sully for making a specific choice. But it is, it is just a different way of interacting, like, and acknowledging that these guys do have choices and that they are making the right choices some of the time. And we should be able to pay attention to that versus always looking for when they're making the poor choices, because that's happening all the time. So Absolutely. that's definitely something I learned from you. I, I remember that was one of the first big things that I picked up when I started working at Dumb Friends League was like watching you when we would bring those really scared little chichis into your office. And you always did such a good job of praising those good choices. And sometimes I think it's just as much for you when you're as observers as it is for those those little chihuahuas, because it's not like they were like, oh, thanks for letting me know that my shake off was a good choice. They don't know what that means, but they can hear the joy in your voice and you notice it and the other people around you notice said. Um, and it, w one of the last things that I want to bring us to before we kind of start wrapping up here is because um, I think a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here is touching on Smut Times 50, which is like our favorite thing here at um, Canine Conversations. And Smart Times 50 is really sets you up to start noticing those little good cho choices that your dog makes every single day. Um, and all it is is the idea of counting out 50 treats or 50 pieces of kibble in the beginning of the day. And you need to reward your dog for 50 good choices that he makes throughout the day and by the end of the day those pieces of kibble should be gone and what I find with clients when I start teaching them this is it really helps them start realizing like oh yeah my dog did lie at my feet and sleep for three hours today while I was working and I dropped a treat every couple minutes while she did that because that was amazing um and it really helps those clients um, and us when we're feeling like, oh my God, my dog can't do anything right right now. But when you've got this pressure to get rid of 50 treats, when your dog does something right, you start noticing that your dog is doing a lot of great stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's awesome. We love it. And we'll, we'll link we to we the will. show notes about that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so to recap what we discussed today, we talked about three of the six relationship building concepts that Marissa outlines in her book. Um, the three that we talked about today were curiosity, acceptance, and compassionate communication. And if you join us in part two in two weeks, we'll talk about the other three, which are, Marissa? Yes, they are support and co-creation, trust and celebration. Cool. I am super excited about those. So Marissa, where can people find your book if they're interested in actually going through this whole workbook and really embarking on this together? Yeah. So they can go to my website, pauseandreward.com forward slash human canine behavior connection, or they can go on, it's sold on Amazon and they can uh, just type in the title of the book, human canine behavior connection. Awesome. So thanks for so much for joining us today. I'm Kayla Fratt, the owner of Journey Dog Training. You can find me and my online training services at journeydogtraining.com. Today's episode was sponsored by Canine of Mine. You can find them at 
K9ofMind.com. And that is K9, the letter K, number nine of Mind.com versus our website, which is K9Convos.com with the K9 in ours all spelled out. And I'm Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado. And you can find me online at pauseandreward.com. Before we go, please be sure to subscribe to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes and bonus materials at canineconvos.com. You can also contact us at hello at canineconvos.com. That's canine all spelled out like Kayla said, and we would love to hear from you regarding anything. Our theme music is called Funny Song, and it's provided royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Eady at beheard.org.uk. And lastly, our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. Thanks so much, guys. 